0: right now okay hi everyone it's steven with joan and brad with going off track Uh, on today's wonderful episode we have two guests that need their own episodes but they came in tandem because that's the only way they would they need their own podcasts do they yeah that would be a great idea Uh, lisa brownley who runs tours uh, you know her from the warp tour you know her from fuses warped roadies reality excuse me uses Warped Roadies documentary series it ain't no reality show because what they do is is you can't script that uh, and Arturo Vega Arturo Vega is an artist you see his work every time you open your eyes he designed the Ramones logo font he did artwork for their t-shirts he was basically the fifth Ramone throughout their tours he, he was the dude and they're roommates and yes. they came and hung out with us yes that is true yeah, met. that's
1: pretty cool. That's like one of those things that, you know, 20 years from now, people will read back and see how they were roommates and think that, you know.
0: Of course they were. That it was just the coolest time in rock and roll. Isn't that weird how everyone has this time period that's, oh, that was amazing. But that's yeah. just how your life goes. It has nothing to do with time periods at all. Like if you talk to people like, man, the 70s is really where it's at. I'm like, I'm pretty sure those who got AIDS don't think so. You know what I mean? But yeah, it's totally. like culturally – Whatever 5-year stretch you have between the ages of 19 and 30, are just like, man, it was just different. I've talked to people who like, oh god, in the 80s, the radio station WHFS, god, that was just a special time. And I'm like, it was a great radio station. I listened to it. I loved it, but it, I I don't look back at it as like, man, things were different. No, it's you because know? you
1: were a kid and your brain was chemically changing and you feel like everything meant something. Absolutely. That's yeah. what it was.
0: Yeah, you're up to up to 25, your your brain cells will renew themselves right after 25 they stop which As i can laugh i can vouch for that
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> brad has seen some shit people uh, <laughs> uh
1: what did you say what are where are we
0: <laughs> yeah I, I remember that after 25 i don't recall a lot of 97 mm. due to various things and moments in my time probably just um wanting to block it out i think that going through certain scenes of your life like whether it's a party scene or a music scene or whatever i do think people have their own tiny forms of ptsd (laughs) i'm sure where you're just like yeah i don't remember that why oh it was awful (laughs) so my brain shut it off in my head yeah i fortunately
1: i did finally start keeping a journal like you know shortly after i started killing all my brain cells (laughs) But I did it about two years too late. I had two fabulous, crazy years of just where I did crazy stuff. And I I look back at that time and say, I just – I wish I had a journal for those two years. But then I do have some pretty crazy stuff documented. Isn't it fun
0: to have those moments when you run to someone from those years and they say, you remember this? And you go, nope. Nope. What's even worse is when you like somebody throws up
1: a photo – On Facebook. Or throws up, period. Or throws up on your lap. (laughs) That's the photo? (laughs) There's a couple of those. (laughs) And you're like, remember this? No.
2: (laughs) Really? That's (laughs) a a shame.
1: Me and David Bowie? What night was that?
2: (laughs) that, That's the cool thing about Arturo, too, is that he has a really good memory. Yeah. Because he's very health conscious and fit and everything. And I feel like he, rem- so he's always has all these crazy stories, and I'm like, man, I can't remember when someone's like, what'd you do two nights ago? I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, probably fell asleep on the couch, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, he has all these vivid memories and stories of, he's told me some crazy stuff. And just when I was living at the house or the loft like played me, you know, their last show and we talk about the last show and how, what this was. It's, I don't know. Show I show at the
0: palace in LA? Yeah. I was but, there. Uh,
2: yes. But um, we, uh, we should have him back on soon oh, We him need to have Lisa him on And Lisa They both have so many stories we... And let's just get to him now It's going on Trump! I ate sour patches for dinner last oh,
3: night That was it That's that was
2: a good one Crazy dreams um, guys, this is like a dream come true, having you both here. Yeah. And it's great for both day of us. I've envisioned this day for so long. Arturo, I didn't think like would ever happen. It's like a flashback. It's so like crazy to see you in Brooklyn. It's like we're in our own living room
3: in the loft, the three of us, and you came over. And yeah, but they have over. better chairs. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, like these, damn it. So Get how, the interns to bring in more chairs. I don't even
2: know how to even intro Arturo and Lisa. Because it, it, it's
0: weird. We have Lisa Brownlee, who's been part of every awesome tour ever and including bands and artists you might not think of, such as Justin Bieber, you know, plus Warped. I think this is the exact way we have to introduce Lisa right now. Lisa Brownlee, star of Roadies on Fuse, the documentary series about the Warped Tour roadies, which, if you've ever been on the Warped Tour, finally someone has decided to do this. It's a good idea. Or if
2: you've ever ridden the subway in New York, you've seen Lisa staring at you with her arms crossed.
0: (laughs) There's a lot of billboards everywhere. I have any of the
3: roadies. Yeah, they really went for it, right?
0: And Arturo Vega, who, an artist in his own right, but I don't know, you may see his work possibly everywhere on t-shirts throughout the world uh, as the man who designed the logo for the Ramones and toured with them for, did you miss, Did you ever miss a show? Two shows. Two shows. Yeah. two
4: shows. Two shows. Two shows. One, we were going through Canada, to Canada, and... Uh, the immigration people didn't like the ID that I had. I don't remember what it was. And another time, we got busted going to a show. And the roadie, the drum rod, the guitar roadie, and myself spent the night in jail. So, two shows, yeah. So, one, a very
0: cool reason to miss. <laughs> and the other one, Canada. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the best Six Degrees is uh, Arturo's famed loft where many Ramon's photos were taken is still there on uh, Joe Ramon Place. Yep. Second on the Bowery. And uh, his roommate, Lisa Brownlee, <laughs> who when she's on tour, sublet her room to going off track and writer extraordinaire Jonah Bear. It's amazing. That is a yep. It's very th-
1: incestuous. So this podcast today is just for us.
0: Pretty much, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. And if you like tours, then the Ramones, which kind of goes hand in hand. So let's work our way backwards.
4: How did you two meet? Uh, the Warped Tour, of course.
3: I think it was the warp Tour. I
4: think it was the first time. Kevin had been inviting me, Arturo, do something at the warp Tour. So what am I going to do? Uh, anything you want. Uh, well, Dina, know, what do I want to do? Uh, sell t-shirts, Ramon t-shirts sell themselves. I need to do that. And I said, okay, I'll do it, but I have to bring something extra. And uh, so I decided to bring uh, some memorabilia. And it was in New York on 2000 and what, 5, 4? I think. Something like that, and of course, when Lisa found out she goes, "Oh, I have to see that!" Oh, dude, it was so like a, she it was came a tra- to the booth. Yeah,
0: it was a traveling
4: Ramon's museum. As a
3: Ramon's yeah. tattoo, straight across my arm, right here. I got hooked right in. I was like sitting around storytelling every night. It's like now, tell me what Didi did on this day.
4: Oh, yeah, <laughs> but now, now she leaves uh, with the presence of Didi at the loft. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: the presence of Didi is something I was warned about very early on.
3: Now that it's actually captured on film and no one can deny it, it's a
2: what, it's what, a fact. What what got captured?
0: Well,
3: it's captured on a photo. I think I showed you the photo when no, no, I left. So. It's going to blow your mind.
0: We're talking like Didi's Dee spectral essence is floating around. One hundred percent
3: captured, and even a, a naysayer, people who would never believe in a million years, saw this photo and it cannot be anything else than what it is. Correct.
4: It definitely looks like there is <laughs> somewhere in there,
2: guys. If you guys know Arturo, this is really big because <laughs> <laughs> I feel like normally it says it's Arturo, he's like, oh, how can you believe this stuff?"
4: <laughs> uh, we talking- well, I actually don't believe it, but there's something there.
2: Yeah, so.
4: there's something in the image. Yeah.
0: So we're gonna do a fun tag team talk here, with we'll just go back and forth how you each got started in the music industry because they're fun tales. And it, again, the Six Degrees is great. We had, you know, a pleasant conversation with Brad. It's like, oh, yeah, uh, Brad's wife worked uh, artistically with Arturo. Um, Brad's known Lisa from touring and everything. It's just all a very interchangeable <laughs> web of awesomes. Yes. So, uh, Lisa, what was the first tour you started working on, and how did you get involved in tour production and uh, behind the scenes?
3: The first real big tour I ever did was uh, Lollapalooza, the first year when it first started going. And I kind of got in too deep. I was working with the band, trying to pretend like I could tour manage them because I did local stuff in Florida. And uh, I was on Lollapalooza, pretending like I knew my shit. I didn't. And uh, I essentially ran into Kevin Lyman, who said, I said, help. I I don't really know what I'm doing. So he introduced me to... uh, sponsor at the time and I started from there with a company called Smart Drinks the original energy drink. Wow. So that was that was my beginning and you know and I was the artist relations person so I met everybody straight out of the gates and and that was that foot in the door. I grew up in Florida. I was born in Virginia. Where in Virginia? In Fairfax, Virginia.
0: Where in Fairfax? I know we've probably discussed this but
3: Fairfax County Hospital. Oh, <laughs> I don't yeah, know exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh yeah.
0: Did you live there for a while and then move to Florida?
3: Yeah, when I was, I mean when I was a kid, I, I mean I spent my the years that I can remember in Florida. But I was born in Virginia and stayed there till about five, I think. Five That's where six.
0: my family settled was Fairfax. County. Wow, yeah. near D.C. Right outside yeah. of it, yeah, Springfield technically. You know Springfield. Yes. Because there's you know not many of those at all. All right, so you were in Florida, and then how did you get started working with bands?
3: I just worked locally. I mean, I was more into skateboarding and and like doing local shows like that, putting up flyers, doing backyard skateboard ramp kind of shows. Then I started working uh, at the Masquerade in, in Tampa and it was just kind of my thing. You know, I was a hairdresser at the time and I was like, I can't stay in one place at all. And I was super into music and I started DJing probably like during the industrial Music scene time. Did you play and, a lot uh,
0: of uh, Skinny Puppy? I
3: did. Wow. Read all of that, all of that music. And, and secretly in the would... back of somewhere, I, I still like all of that. Sorry.
0: It's all right. <laughs> hey, well, a ministry tour was a fun tour because they put a fence on stage.
3: Correct, and that may or may not have been the band that I was working with at Lollapalooza.
2: <laughs> I was just thinking about them for some reason when you said Lollapalooza. Was, yeah. that, who, was that the year, like, it was, like, the Chili Peppers?
3: Yeah, you and, know what? I, I'm going to be 100% honest with you. I, all of the years, like, are stitched together like some weird ragdoll to me. I don't remember what year was. What People ask me all the time, what year was this? Was I have no clue. What it's year all were one. Bad
2: Religion a Warped Tour? Psh.
4: <laughs> a
3: really good year. Yeah. A really good year. Yeah. <laughs>
0: That is, you know what? No offense to any warp tour that happens, but that's how you, that's how you know it's a good year.
3: Yeah, that's what I'm saying. If it's that's, it, it was a very good year, whatever year that it was.
0: Bad religion is a fun way to see. So, Artura, um,
2: wow, where to begin? How did you How did you end up um, in New York?
4: Well, rock and roll was always my guiding light. Basically, I mean, in the '60s, uh, I could hear cool bands, cool music on the radio. You know, you could hear anything the Rolling Stones put out, stuff like that or Dylan, but uh, I couldn't see anybody live, and I wanted to see live bands, live rock and roll. So I started traveling to San Francisco since 65, and uh, so I would go, to stay for a few weeks. You know, you didn't need much to survive in San Francisco in those days, you know. There was always a place to sleep, something to eat, somebody to sleep with, and uh, so I kept doing that. I was in San Francisco in 67, and then rock and roll became, like, you know, the most important thing in my life. Like,
0: Where did you get to San Francisco from?
4: From Mexico City. Mexico City, that's right. From Mexico City. and uh, But then, you know, by 69, uh, some friends of mine decided to do a production of Tommy, the Who's Rock Opera, and we did that with a college company, and we toured. And, and then I wanted to do something else, and I thought maybe I wanted to be, like, a film director or a theater director. So I thought, you know, San Francisco cannot be the best place for that. New York has to be the best place for that. So I came to New York for the very first time in 1969 to see if I was going to like it, you know. We thought that we were on our way to Altamont. I think. Uh, we never made it. <laughs> you know? It's probably a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And, uh, but anyway, I, I decided New York was it. I still went back to Mexico, did a couple more things, you know, with with music, and uh, then in 71, I decided I was going to come to New York to stay.
0: Were you doing art this whole time?
4: No. No, I wasn't doing any art at all yet. Uh, The very earliest thing that I did were paper collages, you know, Mm -hmm. like a lot of young people. This is way before computers, of course, so... Decoupage. You know, you could just, <laughs> not decoupage, just cutting, just cutting paper, just cutting magazines. I remember Mick Jagger was in the cover of Time Magazine. So, of course, I cut him out and I made a collage, you know, with that. So it was that kind of thing, you mm. know. But uh, in 71, I come to New York to stay. And, uh, and I was washing dishes and I was working on 42nd Street at Orange Julius. And uh, that's when I started taking photographs, you know, the photo booth machine. 42nd Street was full of sex, drugs and disco in those days, you know. And so I started taking the photo booth uh, photographs that ended up as, you know, later as the first Ramones graphics, you know, the first Ramones poster, the first Ramones packaging of their first album. That when you say comes
0: photo from. booth, I mean, I'm thinking. Photo of- booth for,
4: yeah, the machine, you put 25 yeah, yeah, cents. yeah. yeah.
3: Now, $5. <laughs>
4: and, uh, yeah, and, and we took... And I just blew up the images directly, and that was the first poster, yeah.
0: When did you move into the place on second?
4: The loft? Well, I was living at the time with uh, my very best friend, Jane Friedman, who at the time was... I think she was doing press... She was press agent for what's to... Stevie Wonder. She ended up managing Patti Smith and a bunch of other really cool people later on. And... uh but I was saving my money, washing dishes, and and so I decided to look for a place that I could afford. And I saw these ads in the Village Voice, apartments for one hundred fifty dollars on Second Street, between B and C. So I arrived in there, and it was a heroin supermarket.
3: It was out. <laughs> it
4: was out in the open. In those days. <laughs> People would be selling their wares, like yelling at you. You know, you saw they saw you coming. They thought you were a potential customer, so they would you know, <laughs> yell at you and try to sell you something. This is a second and Bowery. Second so it, and the Bowery. I can't even and imagine. So I'm walking, I'm walking back from that, crying. I was literally crying. And I look up, and I see carpenters and painters working on this floor. And I go upstairs, and the owner is there. And I said, are these apartments? He goes, no, these are lofts. Uh, but are you gonna build partitions and bedrooms? He goes, No, these are lofts. I didn't know what a loft was. <laughs> uh, I said, But they're for rent. He goes, Yeah. How much? Three hundred. So I got the loft for three hundred dollars
0: <laughs>
4: <laughs> in October of seventy-two. <laughs>
0: wow!
4: Wow! It's amazing, yeah, I've been right? There
0: it's it's incredible. It's been there <laughs> ever since. Ah, and the rent's gone up four <laughs> percent.
4: <laughs> Almost. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I love it when you move to New York and you're like, wait, rent control, rent stabilized, rent. What? I don't understand all this. Then you learn and you're like, oh, my God. There's people living in these amazing buildings on yeah. the Upper West Side for $400 a month yeah. legally, and they have to. It's a great, great thing. All right, so Lisa, so you uh, you were in Florida going on tours and things, and you ended up on Lollapalooza. You met Kevin Lyman, who, as we all know, created uh, the Warp Tour. Uh, were you involved working with him at that point?
3: I wasn't really working with him, but kind of like kevin is to this very day he was all about everybody being equal and Lollapalooza wasn't really like that like if you were a vendor you couldn't use the showers or if you were a a certain pass you couldn't go to catering and he he was like trying to break down all of the walls of that even in the beginning so i had some kind of you know bottom of the barrel lowest of the low pass and him and i hit it off really well we got to be really good friends and he he kind of was like Lisa's coming back here and use these showers, and he kind of like, you know, forged the way for everybody to be kind of on the equal plane. So, so we became friends like that. I was sneaking around everywhere, filling my pockets up with muffins and going back out to be a vendor. But, uh, but he, uh, he, he was that guy that was kind of like making it like this isn't cool. All this separation, everybody should be one big happy group, and and I was down for that, you know, considering I was riding the back of a box truck eating. K- ketchup packets at 7 along the way. but So that's kind of how... We've all how, been there. Yeah, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah,
1: the food tent is the coolest part about Warp, I think, when you're on it. I was so charmed by that. You know, like...
2: That community it's just kind so of much feel. fun.
1: It's kind of like the good part of being in the high school cafeteria.
2: Do yeah. They, do, they, <laughs> do they still do that thing where they just, like, find random girls, like the hot girls in the audience to serve food?
3: Well, they still kind of <laughs> do that, but it's more like the bands are so... There's so many people now that... The bands are coming in as a group to volunteer, like, we'll volunteer to serve lunch, we'll volunteer to serve dinner, because that'll give them a week's worth of cut the line pass, because everybody waits in line, doesn't matter who you are.
2: I'd rather have the
0: girls in bikinis, personally. Yeah, but it does a little, matter who you, you know. are. I've seen. I've never seen Fat Mike or the Bouncing Souls waiting. Yeah, line.
3: I don't, that's because I don't think they actually eat food.
0: That's true. That's a good point.
3: I think that's it's a, a whole different diet that doesn't involve waiting in line for this food for doesn't catering. Involve a small mirror <laughs> in my pocket. Yes, uh-huh. this is not not the food I was looking for. That
1: was Arturo's line on the Bowery. The one line
0: they're waiting in. Oh, right.
3: <laughs> yeah, different, different line, different lineup going on. But Wait, uh,
0: were you at the Warped Tour when it started?
3: I was still on Lollapalooza at that time. Okay. I stayed there one more year. I remember the very minute, the very second I was with Kevin, we were at Lollapalooza, and he said, I'm done with all of this. I want to do something that's more sports-oriented, more about the bands, more about punk, What you know, the kind of music I like. And I was like, good luck. <laughs> See, ya. See you over there. I'm going to stay over here where I have a solid job with, with you know, with a success rate. And uh But I went and visited him on the first year, and I was like, yeah, this is more my thing. You know, I like it. I like it over here. So I I joined him with the second year. So this is going to be my uh, 18th year, and it's going to be the tour's 19th year. Good
0: Lord. But second year was 96? Yes. With Rocket from the Crypt, No Effects.
3: That was a good one. Yeah, that was a really good one.
0: Was was that the one?
3: 95 was the first year.
0: That was was Quicksand. No, No, 95. 95 was the first year and that yeah. was no doubt sublime quicksand and all I know orange but,
3: 9 mm Yeah, that's right. Orange 9 yeah. mm or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I I mean I went and visited, and I was like I got to I got to be here, you know. This is You're what, like skateboards, skate do. ramps and punk rock. You, yeah, you this might is have me. some familiarity. This is me. Yeah. So I so I made I made the leap and I think at that time Lollapalooza had gotten like really crazy corporate and you know, when I when I really got to know Kevin, his job at Lollapalooza was called artist liaison, which I think is still a great term. and I use it all the time. Nobody could get along with anybody else. And he was the guy <laughs> who was like in charge of like, you know, this making the artist and the management and the people like he still does to this day. The ambassador, I call him the ambassador of kick he, uh He just tries to make everybody. Get along. That was his gig there. And when that wasn't happening really anymore, he's like, screw this. I'm out of here. I'm going to create my own version of this.
0: No, Arturo, were you on Lollapalooza with the Ramones? Did you? No, need... never.
4: Never. Okay. No. Uh, the first time I did the, the whole tour, the full tour was in 1996. Okay. Yeah. And that's when I decided to bring a, like a big memorabilia exhibition. right, right. And uh, we build these special cases with plexiglass tops. I've seen so. them; it's amazing. And I brought the real thing, which was a bit of a mistake, because I brought the <laughs> real items. And you know, the weather conditions at the Warped Tour are like, you know, very mm-hmm. cruel. Mm-hmm. Tons of light, tons of heat, tons of water. It wasn't
3: and a mistake to me. Nothing got like, ruined, <laughs>
4: but things did get affected. You know, like the first Vermont's T-shirt and stuff like that. It only looks cooler now, but you know, <laughs> still you? I feel like, yeah. You
0: know, How did you? Well, um, see, this is weird because I've read a gazillion Ramon's biographies. My favorite's Monty Melnick's. That's my favorite one. It's a great book. On the okay, road, yeah, I, I like that one a lot. Um, just to get you know everyone's different viewpoints Who's of Monty things. Melnick? He was their uh, the Ramones
4: tour manager. really
2: forever. I didn't even He's, know about
3: that. One. It's fun when he was at our uh, Christmas party last year. I was like let's do a book together. I'll do modern day tour managing and you do tour managing from here. Like, let's do it. Let's write a, a book. I mean, that was like a,
2: 100 excited Joey that,
3: juices yeah. later, you know. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but I was like, let's write a book Coming
4: together. In 2013. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the Joey juice is a, is a beverage I invented. When we dedicated the street, Joey Ramon Place, we had a party at the loft and I just wanted to make a drink, you know, in honor of Joey. And uh, you know Joey's favorite color was pink, so we wanted it to be like pink, but somehow, and um, so we managed to mix everything, everything that I could possibly find. We ended up putting some Pepto Bismol in there too. And, uh, it is pink, pink, Arturo. Well done. Uh. So, but it worked, and sometimes it worked. We could, I keep repeating that, and but I just pour in whatever. It's around, and sometimes he's gray, sometimes he's not, but it's Joey Juice. So the recipe
1: is just pink,
4: that's
1: the recipe. The (laughs) recipe is
3: pink, and whatever's sitting around, like at the end of the party, I just start seeing him gathering all the glasses, I'm like, oh no, here comes the Joey Juice.
0: Isn't it true that the sign Joe Ramon Place is the most stolen sign in New York City? No, it's a myth. Oh, it's a myth? (laughs) Yeah. I think
3: that's why they had to put it no, up so high. They keep putting it up so high. Yeah, because they I keep was trying.
4: There when, I went when they unveiled the you, you know, they keep the trying. Song. You know, that sign, the first time they placed it, it was in the wrong corner to begin with. Yeah. They put it right in front of CBGBs, and the people of CBGBs called me, Arturo, I think that Joey's sign was just placed in front of our, front of our door. So I go there, and yes, it was there. And it was a Friday night. It was after 5. I immediately called, and they said, oh, sorry, there's nothing we can do about it. Because uh, the crews are gone and uh, not until Monday. Uh, So I kept calling and calling and calling. And I said, well, I'm going to take it down. I said, it's Friday. There's going to be a hardcore weekend at CBGB's. That sign is going to get stolen for sure. It was so low. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, you can't do it. You know, you're going to get arrested. You're stealing this property. I said, I'm taking it down. I took it down. (laughs) and I took it to the loft. And I, I kept making phone calls. And then a guy from the New York Times came over to interview me. And he grabs the phone. He goes, hi, this is so-and-so from the New York Times. You know, there is a world's press coming to cover this event. And who is going to take the blame for this 15 minutes? It was a truck there changing. Nah. <laughs> that's so good. And awesome. that's when I said, put yes. it in the right place and make it as high as possible. But it was never high enough until the third time. What has happened <laughs> is that they tried to steal it down and uh, we've been really lucky that somebody catches them and follows them until they get a cop and got the people arrested twice All and right press charges and everything. What a cool way to but, get arrested,
3: though. Like but it, was never the been, we'll it has, play has, play it has been never
4: been stolen. No. Okay, got it. All right. yeah.
0: Not that there are any myths associated with the Ramones. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: What, are, what are some other... Because I felt like I, whenever I would ask you questions, like half the time, you'd be like, no, it's not true. What are some <laughs> of the things that people think about the Ramones that maybe are the biggest misconceptions... When they come to mind, they...
4: Because I felt no, like no, I was no. like,
2: oh, the Ramones used to practice at the loft all the time, oh. right? And you're like, no.
4: <laughs> they never practice. They never rehearse, really.
3: <laughs> That's because they don't practice. No. And Until Johnny
4: started making them do it. Really? Uh, you know, yeah. Yeah, John was the only one that wanted to keep things running really tight, and, you know, like the army. But Joey and Didi you know, they'd rather do something else, you know. Uh, Joey and Diddy wrote a lot of songs right there at the loft, you know, but it was Joey with his two-string guitar, and, uh, and, and Diddy would just try to write and totally change his mind about things all the time. You know, it was really hard. It wasn't until Johnny got involved and put him, in, you know, together and then said, OK, now we're going to finish the songs. Because, I mean, the writing process for Johnny and, and, and for Joey and Diddy was like, you know, really crazy and just, they were just having fun. But Johnny was the one that put things in order all the time. Yeah. How
0: did you meet the Romans?
4: I was already at the loft, and I was painting, and uh, my door was always open. And one day, somebody opens the door, and he goes, Hi, I'm Didi. Hey, Didi, what's up? Well, you know, I come to see Pam, this girl that lives above you, and every time I walk by your door, I hear the music you're playing really loud. And It's the kind of music I like, so I just thought, you know, I want to see who you were.
1: So he comes in and then he
4: starts telling me, you know, he would come back and he goes, you know, I'm Diddy Ramon and this is going to be my band. So I'm going to call them the Ramones. Oh, cool. That's really cool, Diddy. Mm -hmm. And uh, then he kept telling me and he kept, you know, giving me reports. And one day he said, "Uh, we're going to have our first show. He goes, well, it's not really a show. It's just a private party for friends. But, you know, you have to come by. And that was the first time. They played as, with Joey as the drummer. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Didi was singing trying to play bass. You know, uh, that was in March of 74. Uh, but Didi kept coming to the loft and, you know, I already had all these images with eagles. Mm-hmm. I was taking the photographs. I was silk screening. I was, you know, doing things like that. And I had lots of eagles <laughs> everywhere. You know, my leather jacket was always there. And uh, so Didi kept, like, Talking to Tommy and Johnny, who were really the bosses, about me, and because Didi would always say, "You know, we're gonna be famous," and uh, but we had you have to design our our album covers. It was always about the album covers. So one day Johnny tells Tommy, "Well, you better go and check out this guy Arturo that Didi won't stop talking about." So Tommy comes to the loft, and. Uh, no, he doesn't tell me what the mission is, you know, until later on. Uh, but then he goes to rep- and reports to John and he says, well, you know, the guy's okay. He likes all the right music and, uh, you know, he's been around and he was in San Francisco and he knows a lot about music and uh, and he likes the same music we do. And he's he's like an Andy Warhol type of pop artist because I was doing the supermarket paintings at the time. Wow. You know, and uh, so that was the report, you know. So it was just decided from the beginning that... So did you you design the first Ramones T-shirt? Yeah.
2: Could you talk about... uh, You told me once about how bands didn't really sell T-shirts sort of before
4: then. No, it didn't happen. I mean, I was in in shows in San Francisco, you know, in the 60s. And then in 72, I remember I went to see Alice Cooper and I went to see Led Zeppelin and The Stones. And uh, they didn't sell T-shirts. They sold programs. That's what you saw when you went to see a band. You, sold the, you bought a program or a poster. Nobody sold T-shirts. You know, but I had already learned how to uh, silkscreen print. So when we were going to, uh, to the West Coast for the first time and the record company didn't want to pay for my expenses, I said, well, why don't we make some T-shirts? What do you mean? T- what kind of T-shirts? Ramon's T-shirts. And what are we going to put in there? Let's put the Eagle You know, it wasn't the the logo yet. It was the the first eagle from the belt that I used to take photographs with. And that's how we started it. And I took a hippie bus. There was, this is 70, what, 76? There were already hippie buses. They were still hippie bosses from, San Francisco, from New York to San Francisco for $30 with mattresses on the floor. I <laughs>
3: still every, have those, you know, like amazing. the turtle, green <laughs> yes. turtle or whatever.
4: And everybody had an instrument. Everybody was in more than one trip. Wow. Sounds like you my ultimate that.
3: nightmare. It was awesome. <laughs> Patchouli and sage everywhere.
4: Oh, man! I, like, and I remember we went to San Francisco first and then we went to L.A. And I was I arrived there first, so I got into the Sunset Marquee and we had a suite and I'm like calling everybody. I'm in a suite at the Sunset Marquee, you can't believe you know. <laughs> it was fucking awesome. So that's how we started making the t-shirts. And the t-shirts sold instantly like
2: we were like, What? <laughs> did you say it like worked? Not everyone uh, was even sure. Didn't you say Johnny was like, eh, no one will buy a t-shirt?
4: Right, John, yeah, I said when I said what are we gonna when he said what are we gonna put on the shirt, I said, We'll put the eagle. And he goes, nobody's going to buy a Ramon shirt. How much were they? Like
3: five bucks or something? You no, remember
4: $3. How much? $3. I think the shirts cost a dollar to make. You know. <laughs> wow. We were selling it for $3. I was and sh- what I used to do is like I would sell the shirts at the door. Then showtime came. I put the shirts away, run in and do the lights because I was the lighting director. Mm-hmm. You know, Do the lights. Then for the last song, I would leave all the lights on, take the shirts out and sell again. <laughs> I would do that forever. See, you
3: you gave way to the beginning of my career of merch yeah. sales. Yeah, That's does it they, yeah. See, we're se- separate. Yeah. I love how it's almost an again. afterthought.
0: Oh, we'll sell T-shirts. That'd be fun. Yeah. And it's like the most iconic rock show shirt, period. It yeah. worked.
4: In, and I think it worked because it. I I worked on it. I thought about it a lot. I I like comic books. I don't like cartoons, but I hated the fact that the Ramones were being depicted very often as cartoons, written about as cartoons. I hated that. So I was uh, I, I was looking for something, a logo that would represent them in all their power and majesty that I saw that I heard in the music, and I think it worked. And that's why I think because I really did created something that does justice to their power, you know, to their to their. When you think about the bat. Grand Well, he was unconscious. I mean, the original logo has the olive branch for Mm. our friends. We treat you nice. And he has arrows. Mm. Uh, But, you know, if you're going to mess with us, we're going to hurt you. I replaced that with a baseball bat, who is also a weapon. Could be looked at as a weapon. But it's also... I wanted to keep the all-American spirit of it. I wanted to change it, but also in the most in the most minimal way, to keep it as a all and an all-American symbol. Mm-hmm. So, you know, baseball, and Johnny's a hardcore was a hardcore baseball fan. Mm-hmm. So I just was very careful uh, about that, you know, keeping it as... And then I picked Johnny's name because it's the most American-sounding. Mm-hmm. You know, Didi not so much, Joey, you know. Uh, so Johnny, that's why I picked Johnny. I wanted to keep the all-American, you know, spirit of it. The the design in the center of the eagle, the shield, came from a t shirt that I used to wear all the time. And uh Didi or Joey would wear it too. It has this design looks like arrowheads mm-hmm. and that went into you know, this this brings something uh else into my mind. Uh, art is personal to me. Uh you know, I was painting before the Ramones. I'm back into that, doing that more than ever. Uh, but there is no theory, there is no school of art or anything that I follow or that is important to me. Everything comes from my life, from what I do and uh, how I do it and who I do it with. Real life. Art comes from life. Art is personal for me.
0: So, your personal life is on t shirts.
4: All over the place. <laughs> How often do you go kind up to people like cool shirt? <laughs> a few times. I used to, when I started going to the warp tour and I started like seeing tons of them, yeah. I would like just take photos, you know, with the kids because I thought, oh, I have to make a collection, you know, would be the greatest thing. And then when the teacher started getting bootlegged and mm-hmm. like endlessly. Once upon a time, I think the warp tour of two thousand and eight. The venues, a lot of the venues are the, sh- the sheds, they're
1: mm-hmm. called. yeah,
4: And they are like owner-sponsored by Verizon, AT&T. Their work t-shirts said AT&T with the Eagle logo and something related. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> in the world tour, in the, in the biggest venues, uh, that big English tour, no, the festival, the mm-hmm. biggest... The the traditional, the rock and roll festival in the UK? Reading. Reading Festival. Reading Festival. Reading instead of Ramones with Eagle Love. Did
0: you come up with the lettering too, the font for Ramones?
4: Yeah. And what I was trying to get away with was the 60s. Mm -hmm. I wanted it to be as recognizable as possible, as simple and direct and unadorned. I wanted it like to be simple and easy to read because the first sounds in the village voice were so tiny, were so small yeah. that uh, I thought wanted to, I you know I wanted to make an impact instantly.
3: But it's still uh, cr- yeah. I mean you I, I took the dog out for a walk yesterday, just threw on my Ramon sodi like I do, and it's raining, I'm walking and a guy doesn't speak English at all. He excuse me, Ramonis and I said, Yeah, Ramonis <laughs> and he's like <laughs> No, where's Ramones? And I was like, oh, because when I first moved into the loft, ding dong, ding dong, the bell all the time. I was like, man, you got a lot of people come over here. Strangers who like know where the place is who want to buy a Ramones shirt or just see the loft. And so I'm just moving in and getting used to the fact that there's constantly going to be strangers just stopping by to see the historical Ramones loft. But the guy yesterday and I was like, oh, the loft, it's, it's right there. He's like, no, Joey Ramon Place. He just wanted to see the sign. <laughs> <laughs> and then he sees he that I have this shirt, and I'm like, oh, come on. I was bringing a stranger off the street over <laughs> to my house because it's so common that, that people come all the time, you know. And I'll, there'll be many times I'm just trying to get in the door, and there's everybody outside taking – a picture. Oh, and, yeah,
4: there's guided tours.
3: Right, guided tours, and they're booked the you know, up there. Up there
4: And I'm opening the door. <laughs> yeah. I guess good. if historically, yeah. I guess
0: if historically you had an open-door policy and Didi Ramon happened to wander in, it's probably a safe bet to keep the door open. <laughs> <laughs> you never know who else is going to come wander in Well, through. I
4: guess I shouldn't say it on radio, but <laughs> yeah, the door, I know. The, the love's door is never locked.
3: <laughs> <laughs> it's real true. I had to it's adjust true. to that. You know, I had to really adjust to that when I moved there because I... I'm used to, like, locking everything up. It's just what you do. And another thing, like, right before I'm—it's really ironic because right—I visited Arturo at the loft a lot after we met, and every time I'd come through New York, I'd come through, and they, he has one of my favorite photos ever, and it's the Ramones' first time, I think. I don't know if it was in the UK or if it was in New York, but it's uh it's the couple members of the Clash and the Ramones oh, together, slumbered. which is like— you know, to me, an ultimate dream. And I was like, wow, where, where's this picture? I said, I have to live in this loft since the second I (laughs) went into it, I have to live here. So every time I would visit, I would say, so when am I moving in? When am I moving in? You know, with no intention really of moving to New York. And I visited one time, it was like a day off. And I said, so when am I going to move in? Like I always say, and he's like, oh, my roommate's moving out, you can have the room if you want. And I said, (laughs) what i can i can move in but at the same time i was still gonna be on tour for another six months and i still had a place in san francisco so i paid rent at the loft rent in san francisco and lived on a bus which was which was really ironic but uh the The irony really was that when i finally moved i moved out of my place i loved in san francisco moved away from everybody i knew forever and uh Probably three days after I moved in with Arturo, my somebody, an arsonist, caught fire to my oh. house in San Francisco. And uh, yeah, that was bad. You know, my people next door and my everybody lost most everything. And I was thinking, like, wow, what a kismet thing that I That's just happened really to, to move in with you. Like, the luck of that happening. So, I mean, fortunately, nobody was hurt, but they lost everything, and it's, it was just so crushing to think so i still have a giant fear of fire and, and i think he's really used to just constantly burning candles and i'm always going around blowing them out i was like <laughs> i leave oh, I everything gonna, on all
4: the time i think you know. we're
3: gonna burn don't, down don't let her move out
4: Okay, grill, totally safe
3: yeah my foreman grill that's not gonna burn it turns off automatically see <laughs> now, just like electric candles i got a
2: grill because lisa got one she was like i have
0: one they're incredible pretty good
2: um, could you maybe talk about that time in London when you hung out with the Clash and the Ramones or when they hung out together? The first time? Yeah.
0: You sure? It sounds really
4: boring. I know. Right? It yeah. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> is that, is that question was coming who out? Was like, who cares? That? Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. I wasn't really doing much there because I was, I was so nervous because I was dealing with a lighting system. <laughs> you know what I mean? After just...
2: Was this you, the first time you gone? The first over- time we were okay. in
4: London. Yeah. And, uh... But I knew there was a lot of, like, cool-looking people because the look didn't exist in New York yet, even in London. You see the photographs from the London show in 76, (laughs) and everybody looks like they're the Beach Boys or something (laughs) like that, you know. But anyway, but I could tell there were some really cool-looking kids, you know, and it was – we didn't know who they were, uh, but you could tell, you know. And uh, so anyway, they're trying to uh, get in. Nobody had any money. And I think somebody tells Danny Fields, you know, these guys are like, you know, they're trying to get together. They're forming a band, and they're very impressed that the Ramones are here. So Johnny goes, oh, okay, all right, we'll talk to them. And Johnny goes at first, and he starts talking. And uh, I just saw that they, they definitely had the look already, you know, Simonon was, like, impressive just to look at, you know.
3: And that was the photo that I he saw looked, at the house. Uh, he looked like and a, to me, he
4: looked like a French poet, like, a, you know, Rambo type, you know what I mean, dressed like Dylan. And uh, so I went out. To begin with, I couldn't understand a word. <laughs> and they said nothing. But at one point, Rodden is trying to get through a bathroom window inside. And first I see the hands. So, so I look... And this weird, ugly-looking kid <laughs> speaking—I thought, really, really, I thought he was Russian or God knows what <laughs> kind of language—and he just saying, you know, help me or something like that. So we help him in. He comes in, and I—I I just thought it was exciting because that's when, and on during that trip, I realized the other half of punk was the audiences. In CBGB, everybody was still very lame, you know, compared to the English, or you know, the, the vibe, the energy of the Brits. And uh, even though they were not doing much, they were just doing a little pogoing, but that was a lot more than they were doing in the States, you know, a lot more. So I just got the vibe that they were, like, you know, really cool. And uh, so at one point, I think, uh, then... Danny says, Danny feels he's the one that's engineering everything, you know, and says, well, you have to take some photos. We have to take some photos. And at one point they, they needed them inside. So I went out to, you know, tell them, you know, guys, you have to come into Soundcheck, et cetera. And I realized that they were just getting along really cool. You know, they were talking, but I could tell that Johnny could understand them a little bit, but I could tell that G- Didi and... and And Joey just looked at each other every every time one of the guys said something because I couldn't understand anything, you know. But uh, I think what impressed me was that they did look cool.
3: And they didn't even really look that cool at that time, you know what I'm saying? Like they didn't really get their, (laughs) like, super cool look together.
4: That was the best look, you know. I hated everything else that followed, you know. That was the Brits contribution. You know, New York and London, they had, like, this punk uh, tennis match going, you know, something is starting in New York. It definitely started in New York, but then the ball was thrown to London and then London returned it. It was like back and forth and they kept influencing each other.
0: The fun story I heard about the fashion was that uh, you have the Malcolm McLaren sees Johnny Thunder's wearing a shirt that's held together with safety pins, and he thinks that's fashion, and that's all he was
4: doing is trying to keep a shirt together. Yeah, you know. Yeah, but Didi was already doing that way before. Yes, he was. Way before, you know. Didi, I I remember when I thought it took me maybe five or six times, maybe more, to realize, oh, Didi's trying to say something here, because Didi was doing it, you know. But at first, I thought the the fucking shirt is ripped or something, you know? <laughs> but then yeah, Didi was doing it first, but yeah, uh, the Brits that was a contribution. I mean, the Ramones had the Ramone look, yep. period. That was just they were just being Ramones, you know. But then the Brits do contribute with the look, the fashion. They make right. it fashion, mm-hmm. and it worked. It was very very exciting. I can all, I mean, I can
0: all, only imagine. <laughs> you, you're looking at everything. You're talking about stuff that. Are friends of yours and people you knew that I'm just realizing from, you know, the books on my wall, you know, and I only saw the Ramones a handful of times and I I never saw them with Didi. I only saw them with CJ, but my prized possession is uh, a too tough to die shirt that has says Richie on it, you know. (laughs) I said, "I I does not fit on this body anymore, but I wore it to death, and it was like it's my favorite shirt of all time.
3: I just uh, recently, I told Arturo this, I just recently went to a show, which was uh, Tommy Ramone and Glenn Matlock doing um, acoustic gig together. And it was, to me, it was incredible, because a friend of mine is now dating Glenn, and I was also a big Sex Pistols fan, and I was like, she didn't. She didn't actually even realize who he was when she started dating him. That's she's like, thing heard. I know. She's <laughs> like, I started this dating this guy Glenn, and I was Glenn Matlock. I was like, What? You're <laughs> dating Glenn Matlock? And she's like, You know him? And I was like, Look, I don't even want to tell you. You get to know him on your own. So, but anyway, he he was just recently here, and they were doing a show um, at this really cool place, which I can't remember the name of. But it was an acoustic gig, and it was Glenn first, and then Tommy. And I'd heard some stuff from. Uh, that you were playing me the Uncle Monk or something Uncle Monk, Tommy. which is really folk yeah. but I love Thomas a lot of grassy, that right yeah and, it's uh, totally bluegrass but yeah. they both did the set and and they both threw in acoustic versions of the Sex Pistols and acoustic versions of the Ramones and I was like I cannot believe that this is why I live in New York that I'm witnessing this right now this is not happening in San Francisco in some random little bar like this is incredible like you know um to think that she this is when it. I was a kid <laughs> growing up on this, and right, now it's
4: painful to me just to see his eyes <laughs> when I told him about it. She it. I wish we had video
2: for just to see Arturo's face
3: when I told him about it. I told him about it the other day, and he's like, "Oh, it sounds terrible. It sounds horrible." And I was like, "No, it wasn't. It was great." And he's like, <laughs> oh "No, God, I don't think it was. I think it was horrible."
0: So I want to. Because the obvious segue, of course, would be Justin Bieber. So how do you know Justin, Lisa?
3: You know, I uh, I don't know Justin. No. I know that uh, my partner that is our head of security for Warp Tour uh, has been working with him since the beginning of his career. I um, recently got licensed and bonded in security. And what does that mean? Next, that means that I can, you know, knock kids around without... Without getting in trouble, no. <laughs> it just it just means that finally I, I, I you've have. been working your
0: whole career to have that permission.
3: <laughs> finally, and and the obvious obvious next move would be massive crowds of little girls. But anyway, I think uh, Sully and I are just been partners for a long time and worked together well. And he needed somebody that can deal with kid girls, young girls. I mean, you got either this massive big Irish guy or somebody like me who is really crowd control. And he and he said. Do you want to do this gig? And I said, Am I gonna to have to give up Warped Tour? No. Well, then, come on over. So that that was really it. And to me, I, sure it's Justin Bieber, and sure he's a massive pop star, but my jobs are my jobs. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm not. I don't think that discredits me in any way. I, everybody's like, Wow, punk rock chick working for Justin Bieber. I don't care. That's I'm not. That's not my. Me. That's not who I am. It's what I do, you know? I, it's I, what I do.
2: I can't imagine. Because I was so intimidated by you on the warp Tour when I was, like, 22. I was like, oh, this girl's so cool. Like, she's in charge of everything. I can't imagine being on, like, that tour and working. And
3: I think that's part of the element that works with these kids. You don't need to be. They, they just see you, and they figure you must know what's up if you're in charge of security for for Justin Bieber, you know? but
0: uh, Does he know what the Warp Tour is? Yeah, he knows. Well, I mean, sure he's actually, I don't, I don't.
3: I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna go out much about my boy JB, but uh, <laughs> but he, you know, he's he's not totally clueless about a lot of things.
0: Well, I because you, so your whole world just revolves around the tours that you're working on, and that's cool that you keep Warped as Warped
3: Yeah, I mean, to me, Warped is like, you know, it's like my baby too. I've been there since the beginning, and I watched it turn into what it is. So I'm really very attached to that tour, and I get. Real defensive when people talk shit on it or have bad things to say about it, because whether you love it, whether you hate it whether it's whether it's the hardest thing you've ever done in your life, or you think it's the easiest thing you ever did in life it's it's successful, it has a really good uh still got cheap ticket prices, and the bands may not be something that you wanna see, but if you don't change with with what's going on in music, you're gonna not be able to continue with your. Your tour you know so I think you i'm gonna to try for 20 it. years i'm gonna try for 20 years see if i can pull it off dude you just
0: define warp tour because i know i've said this and i was only on the tour you know for a few weeks at a time i can't imagine doing the whole thing like you guys have done but it, it's the hardest most fun thing you know and that's it you really you're it's almost like you're earning it and the bands that have been on that tour you know, from Eminem to the Black Eyed Peas to Mike Kim and Followboy and all these bands that, mm-hmm. you know, the Green Day that launched. There's just, it's like, you have to do Warped Tour, you know, to have any kind of yeah. credibility.
3: I, I kind of feel like that. I mean, I've watched, I, I shared a, my, my bus with Blink-182. I saw them when there was maybe 15 people that we brought together to applaud for them. Like, hey, guys, everybody come over and watch this band, you know. So... And and so many bands have got their start there. And the warp tour is a little bit different for me because you know I'm in charge. I have my own office with the air conditioning, and I have uh, my own shower to use. And catering's bringing me food. And then you know what? I did all the other jobs, so I've already done my time. It's like going to war, you know. I've already I've already been in the trenches, and now and now is my time to. Uh, be a carpet person to enjoy the air condition. To uh, you're
0: also in that air conditioned area twenty four seven. I've never seen you out of it. <laughs> no. And now there's cameras following you. Yeah. No, no, yeah. No, what's up with that? Following me. Roadies on fuse. Yeah.
3: Warped roadies. <laughs> I think uh, the idea of making following Warp Tour has been an idea for a long time. I don't think there has ever been presented in a way that made it seem like we wanted to do it. And I, I absolutely positively refused to have anything to do any. Thing with anything like that in the past I was like this isn't I, I didn't sign on to be in front of the cameras I want to be like the Wizard of Oz behind the curtain You know like making the puppets move around out front But but uh, <laughs> I just started to, And we worked with Fuse for a long time and, and you know a few people over there That we really love And uh, I kind of talked to them a little bit about it And I said is this a reality show Or is this a documentary you know of the because it should be told the story should be told it's pretty epic it's it's a, a huge undertaking and i think it's successful and i think the story should be told and if it's going to be told why not work with people that you like who have some credibility
0: well work tour inside and out happened 2005 2000, 2006 work tour inside and out and that was a good documentary series yeah um uh it was mostly followed a couple of the bands around uh, not really the crew which I remember talking to a number of people, like you know, that's more the
3: story. You know, yeah, the I mean, the band's, year, the bands come and go. Is, is you know? the band is something that's the story's been told a thousand times, but but the real people, you know, people give up a lot for that. You know, I've not I've not seen a summer in eighteen years or longer because I've been on all the palaces. So I haven't done. I don't I don't know what a summer is when people are like, I'm going. On a picnic or I'm going <laughs> camping or I'm gonna go away t- with my friends for the weekend that's you know that's not part of my lifestyle and it hasn't hasn't been for a really long time. I think this year uh I've been home a total of two months maybe. Total.
0: Jonah thanks you
3: for that. Yeah, yeah, and I thank, he, he, and he I me thank me you for, for that. Spot, so. I thank you for that. But between the two of us, I mean, it, it's a place that we put our luggage for every yeah. every once in a this while. This is the
4: first time in a long time that we, we coincide. We're two weeks.
3: Yeah, we're They're home, for t- and we're, we're leaving. For both leaving weeks. on the same day <laughs> yeah, again. I'm like, on like, leaving on the fifteenth. Are you leaving on the fifteenth? Yeah. But uh, but yeah, we're both. It's it's pretty cool cool symbiotic things. We're both n- never there, and when we are, it's like. Let's cram six months of what we just did with our lives over a cup of tea while we're both running out the door, uh, wherever, you, wherever you go. But I think it works out perfectly for us there.
4: You know, talking about the warp Tour, there is this, this crazy uh, world that I see at night. I call it the second or the other soundtrack of the, of the warp Tour, the buses, mm-hmm. the, the sound of the engines, the generators. And you see sometimes you see this road, this canyon of buses, like 40, you know, 40 buses on each side. And it's at night and you walk it and it's this (laughs) the, the engines on and you look at every bus and it's like a screen. It's like you're watching a movie and you walk in front of it and there's something going on totally different but you don't hear what these people are saying or doing the music. You hear the soundtrack of the engines, and it's fucking incredible. And instead,
3: now they see me walking by. Kevin and I always say this because we used to be peers of everybody, like hang out, go to the barbecues, be with everybody. And now we're more, you know, and I I didn't want to really take on this role, but more of the disciplinary and like don't screw this up or you're going to, you know, eat, eat. the principal is walking down. So now I used to go after... The shows are over go kind of hang out watch the barbecue now when i do all those people he's talking about and all those windows are like hiding or <laughs> closing, the, closing the curtain like oh Shit, God, here, here she comes here she <laughs> comes like here comes trouble but uh, uh kevin's really that role now now I st- i still want to kind of hang out still kind of be the cool kid hanging hanging out with the with the guys but but truly like if somebody gets called over to the Hey, you got to go over to production and see Lisa. They're like, <laughs> oh, "Oh, it's just the worst." And I was like, "Is it really? Have I really taken on that role now? Like, that the parent? Like, you got to go see your parent in the office. You're gonna get grounded."
0: Yeah. You but, consider that some of the bands, you know, uh, members of the bands were, you know, infants when you know you started yeah. touring with that. That of course it makes sense. You know, you find yourself in that authoritarian role that yeah. you didn't ask for, but you are based on this weird. Age misnomer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's just like, oh, they've seen it. And and that's also the fun thing of I used to be a middle school teacher. And you would have, you know, these kids doing things and you'd watch them go through it, and you're like, wow, they have to believe that I never did anything they yeah did, or <laughs> listen to the music they are talking about yeah. because that will make it uncool because they have to discover it on their own. So it's like, you know, with Lollapalooza, I'm sure no matter I'm sure you get on warp tour. And after Lollapalooza, you're like, oh, you, oh, you're partying? Oh, that, that's cute.
3: Yeah, I tell people now when people think they're, you know, they think they're badass or they pulled something off that it's all been done before. I'm just like, you know what? I'm so not impressed, so <laughs> toured with Ministry and Al Jorgensen and Gibby Haynes who throw tables out of the 15th floor of a hotel breaking the glass windows out. These are the things that I've seen. I, I'm not really that impressed with your catching something on fire outside of your bus. You know, I've seen it. I've seen it all.
0: I think you should just be able to say Gibby Haynes. People go, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah.
3: <laughs> I'm really well, wrong. I'd love to be able to say that and people say I'm sorry, but they say who and what. That's more of what I'm dealing with now, you know.
0: Arturo, when... Every story I've read about the Ramones being on tour with the Ramones, it seemed like a lot of that hurling and throwing things out of windows probably didn't happen because it seems relatively calm to me just from reading books. Uh, <laughs> is that another one of those myths Jonah was talking about? Yes, totally. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh,
4: the only uh, dangerous thing or the only like you know exciting thing was Didi Ramon, of course. Yeah. You know? It was a pain. It was a pain for me because. And I would get the phone call from, from Monty, the tour manager. Oh, Didi's going out. Don't let him go. Don't, follow him. <laughs> Fo- we had, I had to follow Didi. I couldn't even hang out with Didi. You know, I had to follow him. Just make sure he doesn't get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> uh, That's got to be the most daunting you know, phone call ever. Diddy. Can you go follow Didi Ramon? Oh, God, where are we are going to end up? Oh. And sometimes it would just like... Work out all right, you know. Like I said, I'm not gonna fucking. Follow. I almost. I think I probably followed him a couple of times only, but I would just like, oh, Didi, hi, are you, where are you going? Oh, I'm going there too, you know, hang out with him. But I, I hated that, you yeah. know, and because uh, you never knew what kind of things <laughs> Didi was gonna get into. But otherwise, it was like after Ramon's show, it's like uh, we're going. To, we were in Seven Eleven and. Uh, they would buy milk and cookies. What and, about pizza? And, and Ramones pizza. and pizza. Oh, yeah. Pizza and uh, and go to the hotel room, and that was it, yeah.
0: What was it like with Joey? Because I know at the time, you know, it wasn't really known about, you know, OCD or anything, which you learn about the Ramones from, you know, uh, I don't know if they touched on this in End of the Century much, but in the books that he you know, he had issues about touching certain things and going, you know, had to walk down steps for a while. It took him a long time. How It was, was, that?
4: It was very difficult. At the end, it was really difficult. Uh, there was something else I had to do. I had to go and pretend, you know, go, go and ring his bell. Joe, we were here like two hours before, mm. you know, anybody else was there, you know, or go upstairs and, and help him do these things. Uh, but when he was at the loft... I didn't know about his disorder until much, much later. And uh, I would just thought he was a sloppy, dirty kid. (laughs) You know, so I would try to make him, you know, wash the dishes and do all kinds of things. And, uh, but one day, I think that, I don't remember exactly what we were talking about. But I asked him, I said, Joey, are you, are you, I think it was about eight months after he had moved in. I said, Joey, are you are you happy here? Do you like it? You know, you like life at the loft? And he goes, Yeah, it's pretty cool. I said, because I'm not sure if you're used to like being alone. You know, I don't know if you miss your home. I didn't know what kind of problems he had, you know, with his home and his mother. And uh and he goes, No, I like it here. Are you sure? Yeah. And then he said something that took me a long, long time to understand. He said, uh, you treat me like I'm somebody else. I had no idea what that meant. And I think that later on, he clarified that I didn't treat him like like the sick boy that everybody treated him like. You know, like uh, the kid with all the problems and all the disorders, you know. And, uh, and he liked that. Like that, and uh, I've, I love Joey. I yeah. mean, it was such a pleasure to, to be with him, to do everything with him, you know. Uh, I couldn't say that about Diddy. I didn't love everything. About <laughs> Diddy. I mm-hmm. kicked Diddy out of the loft, you know. Which is a line I I use. This is a why lot,
3: he's mad and hanging you know? out of the loft. Still, Now he has gone. me. He's Which is mad a line I say
4: when people misbehave at the loft. I go like, "I kick Dieter Ramon out of here. I'll kick you out." <laughs> you know? I just read, but Joey was just a pleasure to live with.
0: Yeah, I can only imagine. Again, I mean, I, my brother's learning disabled, so growing up in that environment myself, um, that that is very telling when you just treat someone like a person. You know, it's like it's like I'm not in a wheelchair; it's just a chair. You know what I mean? It's that. <laughs> It's that that's that's very cool. Yeah. Um I just read the Johnny Ramon autobiography. Yeah. Which I thought was great in two ways. Uh one just learned some stuff that I hadn't known. Um and two, man, it really let people know what kind of person he was.
4: I loved it. I loved the book because you could he- I could hear. I I can picture in my mind John saying these things. He's totally John. Yeah. And I was really worried about it. Because I was afraid they were going to manipulate, you know, uh, the context, the words, exaggerate or change or somehow alter it to make it more commercial or, or to add, because I knew there was a little... Johnny used to send me uh, a lot of the material. It wasn't meant to be an autobiography. They lie about that. It's oh, not I didn't know that. Of, no, yeah, of course no. not. You know, it was meant to be an extended article... That was going to be published by uh, the conservative newspaper from Washington. I don't know if it's the Post or Washington Post, Washington Times. Times is the conservative Okay, one. that one. He was supposed to, Johnny picked uh, a writer that uh, he wanted to collaborate with. And, uh, he
0: and my father would have gotten along so
4: well. It he was, he was meant to be that. So I was afraid that they were going to add a lot to try to make it as long as possible, mm-hmm. but they did not. It's really it's all John's. It come it's it's John John's mind. Oh, that's good. And to hear. it's great. It's, it's great. great. It's, 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 it's awesome. Yeah.
0: It's it's I mean it's it's warts and all, man. That book. You yes. got right, it, Lisa? It's
3: no. You know I have. That's I, I'm about to do a bunch of vacationing, and if we got that at home, I'm gonna I'm gonna take that with me.
4: What do you Somebody think? already took it. <laughs>
0: yes, yes. Lock your
4: door. <laughs> and, and that's, you have
2: so many Ramones books and there's so many DVDs. I mean, what's your kind of favorite? What would you kind of recommend to people if they maybe aren't familiar? The, with the first book,
4: the Ramones, an American Band. Uh, Jim Besman's is is truly uh, well-researched, is truly accurate. The the bad thing is that it's inconclusive because it was published before the band retired. And it was published in '92. But it's definitely the best. There is some garbage out there, too. There's some garbage with lies and exaggerations. And How about that Didi
0: book that just came out by one of his brides? A Didi book? Yeah, came out a couple of years ago. I don't know if it made it. We got a, Which I, one? Somebody gave me... Uh, Brad, we might have to use the magic internet for this one.
1: I know the, I know the book you're talking about. I'm with the,
0: it's like, not I'm with the band, but it's... Uh, it's I'm with Didi or
3: is something. Is it like. a, a... It's... Barbara? It's by his, by his it's second
4: Barbara.
3: wife? Yeah. I think it's her.
4: Yeah, yeah Barbara. I think yeah. I know this book. Yeah, Bar- yeah. Barbara. Barbara didn't. Did it. I, probably, I probably didn't There's even it. has got to be quite a I bit. I probably out didn't there. even open it you know, <laughs> if I saw it. No, Diddy's books are good, the okay. books he wrote. And then again, it's what I call punk fiction. It's not pulp fiction, it's punk fiction from the mind of Diddy Ramon. <laughs> you know, but uh, uh, we were at the Chelsea Hotel one day, and he had finished the last book. I think, Chelsea Horror Hotel. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the second one, not the last one. And I said, Didi, uh, let's go make a, a co- I, I want a copy. Let's go make a, print some copies. I had been reading, you know, some of the passages and the scenes. And then as soon as we walked out, Didi started, like, ranting and raving and insulting people around him and making comments, kind of nasty comments about everything. And I realized that... That's the mind. You know, that was the way the book is written. And uh, and that to him, it was all true. Except the party like, playing, you know, at the basement of, of the Chelsea Hotel with Johnny Thunders and Jerry Nolan and Sid Vicious and the devil. You know what I mean? That's obviously fiction. But everything else was <laughs> was true for Diddy. Right. That you photo,
3: know? I'm sure you saw yeah. it when you were in the loft, John, and that photo that... That's hanging up in the kitchen of Didi on the balcony, like out on the ledge of the Chelsea Hotel.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. Um, which you gave me as yeah. a print for Christmas last year. Is I think it's just so you could just I stare at that thing every day for ever, and it's just so eerie and cool. And it just like you can tell like of him spending the time in the Chelsea writing the book. You know,
4: the photographer is Keith Green, and uh, he took a lot of good the photographs in the cover of Didi's. Uh, last no first album Lobotomy, surviving the Ramones hmm. uh, are by are by Keith. Uh, did he lived on and off at the Chelsea, you know, for many many years? I remember since the seventies when we used to stay there sometimes every now and then. When I f- after I kicked him out of the loft, you know, he would stay there and uh, I would stay with him sometimes. Yeah, the Chelsea was very much a place he felt very mm-hmm. comfortable. When's your book coming out? I am asked that question a lot, then and I, retract I always it. say, I say that uh, I'm never going to write a book of Ramones. If I ever write a book, the Ramones will be a chapter.
0: Yeah,
4: uh, very important chapter in my life. The only thing I have ready is the title, "The Normal Life of Arturo Vega," <laughs> <laughs> because I and I really mean it. Everything I've done throughout my life has always been normal to me to do it. Uh, I look at it also uh people always ask me, Oh, what's the weirdest thing that Joey and Didi did, and what was it I always say the Joey and Didi never did anything that wasn't normal for a Ramon to do, and that's how I feel about about everything that I've done. It was normal, it was normal for me, isn't people. it? everything has a very organic in you know, a way it developed, and it was just very normal for me to do it.
0: <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, it's normal to invent the concert t shirt.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Somebody had to do it. But but did you see the process, how it arrived to yeah. that? It was like life is per art is personal for me. Mm-hmm. It was just normal. One little step led to another one.
3: It's funny that through the through the ages, how people always want to know what's the craziest thing yeah. that that person. You know, I'm constantly asked about Fletcher from Pennywise. What's the crazy? You know, I mean, there, what the better question would be what is what is the most normal thing Fletcher's ever done? Because the majority of the things are are that. You know, so so I think that's like a common question throughout the whatever period of music you're on what's the craziest thing that you've ever done you know but, but you can come up true, with it if, you're if you if are you have true to yourself
4: mm-hmm. if you're honest to your nature is just normal yeah. you know and that's what defines an artist an artist has to be true to his nature
0: i remember seeing didi Ramon walking on melrose in la when i was living there and you know i think i was the one who recognized him it's like what do i say God, what do I do? And I went, hi, Didi. And he went, hi. And I was like, I, there's nothing else I need. So I left.
3: I always so the first first time I met him, I was with Max at the time when we were in New York. And I was, you know, he, he knows that I love the remotes and I love Didi. And we were out somewhere and, and Max was like, hey, Didi, this is Lisa. This is my girlfriend Lisa. And he's like, nice tits. This is what he says to me. <laughs> and, and then walks away. I was well, like, that's natural. Uh, that well, sounds very natural yeah, to me. Uh, and I was like, Well, he didn't even say hi and he goes, No, that's that's how we that's how he says hi. Yeah, so I was like, Great, the first time I ever meet Didi Ramon, this is what he says to me. This is our entire conversation. And I was just like just kinda left and Max is like, That's ru- Didi, that's rude like goes every time and I go, Can we not carry on this conversation? Like, let's just go over here.
0: I met Joey and at the the last Ramon show in L. A. in '96, and and I, I like bullshitted with my way backstage, and I saw Lemmy and Joey hug, which was like reality shifted for a second <laughs> in my head. I was like, "That's, I shouldn't see that. Yeah. I don't know how that's gonna be." Um, and I'm just some dumb punk kid just hanging out. I'd gotten off work like from the Gap and like cruised over because I wanted to see the show, and missed. How half did of you get it. in? Uh, I paid some roadie like twenty bucks and handed me a wristband. <laughs> And I walked in, right. And I walked in the back, and I was there backstage. And Joey came off stage, and I was like, I, I got it. I mean, I love this band. So I was thirteen. I had to say something. So I was like, Joey, hey, I'm just a huge fan. He's like, Oh, nice, thank you. And I went, I wear glasses too. What's your prescription? <laughs> <laughs> and he went, I don't know, man. I went, and I ran.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
0: and I was like, That's it. That's all you could come up with. <laughs> that's great complete
3: <laughs> moron
0: and then i just went home and just like just wept
3: that's that uh, that was my story with uh, obviously I'm a huge clash fan massive fan i've i've worked with musicians my whole life pretty much And but I'm a real huge fan of uh Joe Strummer. and everybody knows this about me we did it we were all on warp tour it was a show and it was the mescaleros and we were at house of blues and uh everybody's hanging out with Joe at the bar. And they're like, the casualty got all their records signed. And everybody's like, Lisa, come over here. Come hang out with Joe. And I was like, no, no, no. So finally, I like have a couple drinks. So I get up the curb. He's sitting at the bar. And I walk over and I'm praying that they haven't said a thousand stories about how much I love this guy. And I go over and he's like, what are you drinking? Buys my drink. And I'm getting ready to have a conversation. And this first thing I think is... I'll be right back. I'm going to go smoke a cigarette. I don't smoke at all. I, <laughs> I say I'm going to go have a cigarette. He's like, all right, see you when you come back. I go outside, go, okay, what am I going to say? And I go back in. My drink's there. He's gone. I go, ah, uh, where's Joe? They're like, he left. You were out there too long. You got to go back up to his room. Died very soon thereafter. Never got to speak oh, to him again. Never. It, was, it just crushed me. I was like... That's why you never want to be dumbfounded. But I couldn't think of anything to say. You know, I couldn't even think of nice glasses or a prescription or whatever. I couldn't even think of anything to say. You should be thankful for that. <laughs> I should be, but I still regret. When people say, do you have any regrets in your life? That's the one thing that comes to mind that I couldn't make a conversation at, before somebody died. Well, I you think know? it's
0: more poetic than regretful. You know, it's, it's kind of a poignant thing for a fan. Just looking at I it from, from that perspective of you have such reverence for someone that, you know, whatever didn't let you make a fool out of yourself, I did, so. There, thank you.
3: <laughs> I, thank you for that.
0: Took that hit for
3: you. You are a good friend.
0: <laughs> Those are Arturo and Lisa Brownlee. The surface was barely scratched. I feel like the fingernail hadn't grown enough to scratch whatever service of all the stories and things they had. So hopefully we'll have them back. Brad wants to have two separate episodes with them, and I want to have a series. I want to have a Let's Ask Arturo phone call.
1: Yeah, I think I'm going to get a camera crew and, like, follow Lisa around, like, when she's on tour Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe see if I can make a show show, out of
0: it. There's a show. They're doing it. Warped Roadies. What? They're doing it on Fuse. Yeah. Um,
2: also, I want uh, to one more time thank um, Lisa for subletting her room to me for three <laughs> months. Thank you, Arturo, for letting me stay at your loft. It was great.
0: Oh, hey, where are you going to stay, Jonah? When when you need a place to stay? Oh, how about you know where the
2: Ramones used to go hang out? Yeah, you can stay there. Yes, I mean, ideally, would I would I not move every three months? Yes, <laughs> but if you have to, that is that's a way to do it. Are you allowed to to call yourself Jonah Ramon now? I mean, is that like? Does it come with that? You know, what's funny is I have a friend from Cleveland who's is also named Jonah, who's uh, on Instagram, and his name is Jonah Ramon. Lucky. So that would be really confusing. Ah, uh, um, I don't think so. I feel like I'm. I would be kind of a poser if I tried to pull that <laughs> off. Like, yeah, I lived there for three months in, in uh, 2012. So uh, pretty much,
0: Clem Burke was in the Ramones for two weeks, and he was named Elvis Ramon. Really? Yes. This guy, he, he remembers everything. He's a monster drummer <laughs> that Johnny Ramone didn't think played fast enough. Really, and kicked him out, <laughs> which was pretty funny. <laughs> Next week, That's... I'm going off track. Clem Burke from Blondie and the Eurythmics <laughs> I joining wish. us. Me too. I love that dude as a drummer. He's fantastic. He's got stories. Oh God. All right, so there you go. Arturo Vega and Lisa Brownley. They will be back. If you are on the internet, in, internet, Intertet, If you were on the internet offensive. Then that is a combination of <laughs> Vietnam and Microsoft. Uh, <laughs> go on Facebook. Going off track. Comment. Give us a like. Go on our website if you enjoy the show. Why not donate some cash to us? We have a little button that will take you to a place that you could write in an amount—three, um, four, five digits. We'll take. We'll take all denominations. Um, we'll even take yen. I don't know how that. Uh, works. We'll take gift certificates, yen. Oh yeah, we're really easy on
2: gift cards. Yeah. We love that. Jimmy John's. What'd you say? Jimmy John's. Do they have those in New York? What's a Jimmy John's? It's like a sandwich place. No. pretty good. All right. I back it. Whatever.
0: We'll take anything, but not Papa John's. I'm over that joint. Um, We'll see you guys next week on Going Off Track. There goes our pizza sponsorship.